0: Greetings, adventurers. It is I, Josh Karam, from the future. Now don't worry, I will return you back to your times, Josh and Aaron, very shortly. But before I do, I just wanted to thank you all, from the bottom of our hearts of Keld, for listening to the podcast this year. Aaron and I love getting to do this podcast so much, just talking about nerdy Magic the Gathering and D&D stuff all the time. So thank you all for tuning in your Sending Stones to listen to this podcast. And also, this podcast wouldn't be amazing without all the amazing guests that we've had on this year. So thank you, each and every one of you who have contributed to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast to make it the amazing thing it is. Now, we're going to come back in mid-January with a bunch of fun stuff. But for now... I bring you back to Past Josh Karam and have a happy Ravnican New Year, everybody. Take it away, Past Josh. It's that time of year again to gather all of your family clerics and your druid friends together. A time where all these spellcasters bring their gem-encrusted bowls together to brew up a magical hero's feast fit for the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast. <laughs> Honestly, here's the thing that blows my mind, Aaron. Like, Hero's Feast is a pretty cool spell, mm-hmm. but I feel as though nobody ever uses it. I don't know if I'm crazy. Maybe I'm, like, a bubble when I say that. So, like, on the first campaign of Not Another
1: D&D podcast, um, the druid there, Moonshine, she used it all the time. Okay, cool, then. So, I, so it might but be a they, bubble That's because they did this thing. Because, like, finding a gem-encrusted bowl is, like, a lot. And sort of, like, very specific. And then to have it be consumed by the spell is rough. But they just said, like, just subtract that amount of gold from your money, and you can cast the spell. So they were rich as hell at the end of the campaign. Just be like, I'll just whip up a quick hero
0: feast. No, you're absolutely right, because at a certain point, like, a thousand gold will become nothing. But Mm -hmm. probably around the point you get a sixth level spell, like, it's at that point, you're like, oh, no, I don't have enough to constantly cast just food for my Mm -hmm.
1: party. (laughs) Right, exactly. But, I mean, the benefits are awesome especially like advantage on wisdom saves, you know, immunity to poison, I'm pretty sure.
0: It's also like a really cool role-playing moment, you know what I mean? Be like, let's all just have lunch. Now, people may be wondering, because we're talking about role-playing, you know what I mean, and like the, the hero's Feast, where is Hollow Wither at Strixhaven part two? <sighs> Before we dive in anymore, I do want to address this. So I've run into quite a few technical issues while editing the second part. So it is coming. I've just been working on debugging things constantly. So it is on its way. Don't worry. We will see what happens to Fenley, Drea, Tegan, and Yenzo. Just a little longer. Just wait a little longer. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been sort of cursed by the the gods of technology. In case you're hearing this and you're like, wow, Aaron, your audio sounds like trash. Sorry about it. I don't know how to fix this. I yeah. We can't
0: be 100% all the time. I'm a, you know, I'm a music not... major. Um, <laughs> exactly. We spend no time
1: in music production, so oh, <laughs> not man. it for me.
0: I love that. But when things like this happen, it gives us, uh, Aaron and I, some time just to sit down and chat again about uh, the lovely world of the fantasy role-playing and Wizards of the Coast and you know, et, cetera, et cetera. There's no recording software problems
1: in D&D worlds. Because there's Amen. no technology. Because
0: they haven't invented it yet. Until the Izet League is like, hey, have you seen the new microphone spell in Magic the Gathering? I'll be oh like, my oh, God. no, this ain't good. Don't
1: do this to me. I can't There's take actually,
0: it. I think in the Strixhaven book coming out, because at the time of recording this, it isn't out yet. I think there is some kind of, the basically the Facebook did it like Tome Singer, and then they have a picture of a microphone emoji next mm. to it for D&D. So we'll see what happens for Lorehold College. Maybe the microphone becomes a thing. (laughs) It's dangerous. But D&D, we've had so many cool things to be thankful for this year, I think. Like, there's been so much fun stuff that's come out. And one of the first D&D books to come out this year was what we got to do on the podcast, which was Candlekeep Mysteries. Oh, my
1: goodness. That feels so long ago.
0: Isn't that nuts? I didn't think it was this year. It kind of hit me. What? Also the uh, fact that the podcast, I think we started this year too. The podcast started this year, yeah. Which is another crazy thing to think about. All the way back in call time. Oh, cold time days. I'll tell you, cold time is amazing. It's still one of my favorite sets of all time. Yeah. It's just so metal and I still like constantly whenever I build a new deck, call time is one of the first sets I think about because I'm like, I loved so many of the cards in that set. is there oh, something some great I can use? Cards. Changelings are wonderful. Um, I love the Fortel mechanic. I agree. I think Boast lived its life. There's some good Boast cards, but it's not a perfect mechanic because it requires the attacking action. Yeah, so it, it requires just like a extra. very aggro play style. But Fortel, just to have your card safe in exile, mm-hmm. is great. You never have to worry about losing it in exile or anything like that. Like You can cast that card, and it's a little now, it's a little later. It's a really freaking great mechanic. So call time gave us Fortel, which is definitely a mechanic that we're really thankful for exist in Magic now. But I'm curious, since we also did a lore review of call time, which was uh, the only time we did that on the yeah Ripperoni. Is there like a certain creature artifact enchantment card that you are so happy exists in Magic now because of this in set?
1: Magic, because of this,
0: um, I I think I said it
1: before, but I love I love Snowlands coming back. I think mm. that like snow creatures and snow enchantments are all really cool. Cause i'm a big winter person winter is my favorite season but i also really thought the changelings were dope especially because like their domain was also blue and green mana so like my two favorite things <laughs>
0: Yeah, 100%. Also, like, it gave us cards like Reflections of Lit Jara, which allow you to copy a creature spell when it hits the field. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, There's that legendary creature I got, the All Form.
0: Oh, Ovar, yeah. Yeah. Gotta love Ovar. He can be anything. Although he's not a great commander, which is unfortunate. No. You really kind of just throw them into a just regular. It's like in the 99 of a commander or just a card in the standard deck. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the changelings, the one I use the most actually is Bloodline Predator because I use it with, like, a tribal deck. Oh. Because it keeps on just getting counters. Yeah,
1: I think changelings fit really well into any tribal deck because they
0: can be anything. You they know? really do, especially when you have, like, say for an example, like, if there's, like, a frog commander that comes out, which we might <laughs> talk about later because that came mm-hmm. out in Anistrad, there's not a lot of frog cards that exist in Magic. Right. So you sort of have to fill that gap. Yeah, if you want to build it in a tribal sense, then you're going to need to use things like shape changes.
1: I mean, I've and been like pro-frog deck since we got cards like Frogify in um, Throne <laughs> of Eldraine and Turn to Frog in War of the Spark. Classic. You know, Kazmina's um, Transmutation, I think is what it's called. Also turns cards
0: into frogs. Like there's a precedent of being like, that's a frog now. There's all the frogs, and it, it's a real reptile thing too, because I think um or amphibian, I should say. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was incorrect. Thank me. you. Yeah, rude. V- very rude. Uh, please call me out on it. Um, the the Amphibian <laughs> Mutineer came out in Commander Legends, which is basically turns creatures into salamanders. So it, it's oh, funny, no. like you know, this is just like a thing that exists. And for yeah. more of your Ravnica fun, you've got a bunch of the Simic creatures are, like,
1: part frog. You know, you've got the galloping Lizrog. Yes. So okay. I think there's something about um, the Aeromunculus that's amphibious. I don't know. It's got webbed
0: toes. It's hard to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but it's really exciting. I mean, uh, for me personally, I think the way that they worked the Norse gods in the cards and had their mechanics work with the god it's based on. Like, I think the fact that Torolf turns into a hammer and you're kind of, like, throwing the hammer for damage and right. it can return back to you. Vulky being Loki, just, like, a perfect disguise. Yeah. And bringing Tybalt back was fun. I mean, my favorite card from Call Time that I think I use all the time is Old Ruin's Epiphany because it's pretty great to have a six-mana card with the foretell feature ah. to basically gain yourself another turn like right. i don't know that's that's a just pretty good I mean, value what's not
1: to love about getting another turn
0: just goes in every deck and especially since it's technically i think the only card in standard now that allows you to do that oh. so it's good to have that in your um arsenal so but um i want to go back to handle keep
1: cuz we we just touched on it briefly we did yeah i know you've even run more Candle keep mysteries just like in your own personal games i have is this you is this you? Because I've me only out? delved into the one that we did. No, I'm not calling you out. Because I, I know we joke on the podcast.
0: We have a contract where I can't run campaigns not Yeah, you did. I am without. suing you
1: for breach of yeah. contract. <laughs> but um, it's okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I've run other things out of the Candlekeep book. Um, I really enjoy the styles of the writing. I think it does a good job, no matter what the setting, to give you. And I think it varies from spooky to like. Super spooky campaigns because like (laughs) Shemshine was definitely like the second one I ran. I was like, this is not as freaky as Shemshine is, like just based on the writing alone. Because like I didn't even intend for Shemshine to. I wasn't like going into it being like I'm gonna be very horrific and how I describe it, but just like the words in it are just so much more horrific.
1: Definitely, it's written like a horror story. You know, you're trapped in a place with like an otherworldly being that's driving people mad. Like, there's no way that that's not terrifying. You know, you have all this like environmental horror.
0: Exactly. And when I was running like the the one I ran after that was The Price of Beauty. And when I ran that one, like it's it's an outdoor setting. You know what I mean? So even though you might feel like you're like. You can't leave the area. You're still like not in a confined cellar
1: with a locked door. That if you open the door, you like, you know, condemn all of humanity.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I got I got plenty more things out of Candlekeep to run because there's like sixteen adventures. There's in a so many. Yeah, again.
1: I'm still waiting for us to run a Candlekeep adventure with our um, main home
0: campaign character. Oh right, where I play the inquisitive rogue. Hey, Let me do it, John. Use it, use it for the class. But I think the thing that Candlekeep did that I like is they started bringing a concept of changing combat into a puzzle itself. However, other ones that I've run don't all do that. So I found that Shem Shime did that. But say, for example, Price of Beauty, I was kind of like, I don't want the combat to be in here. Because I mm-hmm. think it's, like, it's just, like, something that's added. And, like, it's, like, the resolution of the conflict in the end was all about just regular beat-the-shit-out-of-somebody combat. Oh, like, mm-hmm. I didn't like that. And I almost tried to, like, skew my players away from it. But I was kind of like, I don't know. It's how it's written. I guess I should just play it the way that it's it's done. Right. No, I totally get that. That was um, a big plus for me about Shem
1: Shime was that it wasn't, like, if you just tried to go in and, like, traditionally swing your way through it, like, you you would have lost. And I thought that that's sort of, like, the point of the mysteries, right? Is that there's other solutions. And that's actually something that we've seen more of this year, too, when we look forward to, like, Beyond the Witchlight, you know? An adventure without combat
0: at all. Which is so relieving, too, because I think it's nice that D&D is starting to take an approach where not all situations have to be resolved with combat and like sometimes they do but i think that then turns into oh you only level up and grow as a character if you've completed combat so i think it's nice just putting it in like dm's heads and players heads that there's other ways of approaching adventures where it's not you killed the big dragon now you're ready to level up not like oh you had a great time in a carnival and you became like the ringleader of the circus you know mm-hmm. like which is also a big achievement
1: Right, definitely. I know I talked to you about this off mic, um, but I want the podcast to know <gasps> that um in my Everon campaign where I play my taxi cab driving storm sorcerer, right? Um yeah. we haven't been able to get everybody together, so we've sort of just been doing like slice of life, like little one-off things and like this last time we like went to a nightclub and like everybody did drugs and we were like hanging out, whatever. And we like really bonded as a team and like understood each other more. Some people started talking about their backstories, you know, cause we had all these, like our inhibitions were lowered and the DM made it so that like whatever drug we were smoking, like heightened our um, empathy and like made our like sort of like almost telepathically or empathically linked us all together. So we would feel what the other people were feeling. Ooh. And one of the groups he threw in was this, this this like couple of NPCs that were these like two gay dwarves that were like basically making out whatever, but like to ha- like my character was like feeling what they were feeling and it actually led to my character coming out which was like very exciting for me to get to role play, and then I was joking after the session I was like hey DM when do we get to be level four and he was like well looking at like what you fought you know you, I don't think you've done enough combat he's like but you did come out this session yeah. so like that's a lot of personal growth right. Exactly. And as a as my character specifically has a lot that's like emotionally tied to his power. So it makes sense that whenever you reach these emotional and personal
0: milestones, you get more powerful. One hundred percent. And I think it's like important to remember that too, with like certain characters. Save an example. The people who um watched our candle keep and even the first part of Strixhaven at Hollow Hollow Wither at Strixhaven, wow. Yeah, there we go. I, I think the editing has really broken my brain now. I just hear things in a reverse order. That's um, fair. The char- some of the characters in those things aren't combat people. You know what I mean? Like Fenley's not a, f- a fighter. We, w- w- we'll we see what happens later, of course, if anything changes. Right. But like Fenley's not a fighter, and the people at Candlekeep aren't really fighters. Except I, the only person I would say is that Shady Wind might be considered more combat. Combatty, but still, like shady, could do some damage. That kind of then blocks off all these possibilities for your character to grow. Then, if it's all down to, well, this is the only person that could help us out of a fight, so there, that's <laughs> the only way we're gonna get out of this. Like, I think, like emotional growth, intellectual growth, all of that needs to be nourished and added into D and D more. And I think Absolutely. Beyond the Witchlight is opening the door for that. <laughs> However. Make sure with your players, if you're going to run Candlekeep or uh, Beyond the Witchlight, to make sure your characters fit into the one-shot very well. Because I know there's a lot of times people are just like, yeah, make a one-shot character and we'll just jump into it. They're very stylistic. And I think yeah. if you're like not ready for a carnival or to solve a mystery as a character, it's very hard to throw you into it. Yeah,
1: if you don't build a character with that skill set in mind, it's going to feel a little bit like unfulfilling, probably.
0: Yeah, like if you're a very gruff hunter who's very like Batman Dark Knight, you're not going to fit into a carnival. Well, also, you know you what? You might I mean? not
1: fit into your party because there's going to be an edge lord.
0: That's true. You can't, as Dean has said, you can't have too many edge lords, and it's hard to even have right. one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But what were you about to say? I was going to say another thing that I'm thinking
1: is that I've actually started um, DMing an in-person campaign with some of my coworkers at the school where I teach. Yes. Which has been super exciting. And they're definitely, there. a lot of them are newcomers um, to D&D. This is their first campaign. And it's so exciting to see the ways in which they want to engage with the world. I Specifically, one of my characters is like, he's a rogue, but he's only got a 13 in dexterity. His two highest stats are wisdom and charisma. And he's like, I've played a bunch of video games. I've done the hack and slash thing. And I sort of like, I'm bored of it and want to see if I can't play a game where I can talk my way out of fights. Which is awesome. I think that's really cool. So we've we've come up with some really creative solutions. And like, they completely foiled my first combat encounter because they were like, actually, we'd like to like intimidate the opponents and see if we can't scare them off instead. And, like, we got two really good intimidation checks. And I was like, yep, they run away. Like, they're good. They've decided they don't want to fight you today. Yeah. <laughs> so it's awesome.
0: It's it's good to play in person again. I've had a couple of opportunities to do it. And, like, we, we talked about this, I think, on the podcast before. And I talked about it with Rachel when she was on as well. Like, doing it online for as long as we've been doing it, clearly we have gotten, like, each other's tempos down. Mm -hmm. So it feels good online. But being in person, there's none of that building, even with if if it's a brand new group, like you're able just to jump in and you're like, oh, we don't have to think about all of those extra steps that Mm -hmm. we have to do when we're online. Having played in person now, um, now I'm like more aware of all those
1: like little like one or two second pauses, you know, all those like little times that like you're waiting for someone to hear everything that you said.
0: I found, like, when you're in, like, a party of five or six people in person and, like, three of them are doing, like, they went one way and, like, two of you went the other, you could actively, like, plan out with your friend who's in, like, the party of two while the party That's of three nice. is going on being like, okay, yeah. what what's our plan now?
1: Because you can't do Die that Conversations online. are, like, an option.
0: But also I love how you're encouraging your players, you know, to avoid combat now granted i am gonna try and kill them you can't
1: talk your way out of every fight and in fact when there's a horde of monsters that's been systemically like attacking a village every night and it keeps escalating i think the possibility of either being able to scare them off or persuade them not to you know fight because we have a druid who can speak with animals right so i have it in my mind it's like yeah you can try and talk to them but like they are bloodthirsty, and they want to kill.
0: Well, that's, and I think that's when, like, the intelligence of beasts and creatures really, like, is prevalent in D&D, because an ooze is just living to consume. Absolutely. There, there's no rationalizing with the ooze. The ooze wants to eat, and that's it. Like, you can't be like, oh, ooze, maybe you don't want to eat today. Like, that's that's, that's not how it works. You right, can't... exactly.
1: Yeah, the ooze does not have, like, a brain.
0: Yeah, if it, I think it's one of those, like, intelligence three or less creatures and that's when like you know in spells it says it too charms don't work you know some creatures yeah. just can't comprehend too that stupid. so it's a f- yeah too dumb to be reasoned with so you just have to fight it's not within their nature to be yeah. charmed it's the classic like i that sign doesn't apply to me because i can't read you know yeah. and again like that i think it just makes combat all the more important when you make sure that like if there is a combat situation you can't not avoid it's mm-hmm. not like every other combat situation is oh well you can't avoid this combat either or this one or this one or this one or this one right. it's like, it seems like every combat we can't
1: avoid <laughs> it's important to like yeah if you can have them dodge combats you have to have them get locked in too because that same rogue he was like i'm trying to skip town like what's the what's my ways out i was like it's vast farmland on all sides like doesn't look like there's a place to hide i even like let him roll to Check some hiding places and he just rolled really poorly so like i was like you're stuck like you're in the foxhole there's nowhere to go yeah there's no there's no further hole to dig yourself into granted you know there are some options where like after if they survive the night they could um they could leave the next day this is a very solid point yeah we all have our choices but like when you show up an hour before sunset it's sort of like you've run out of You've run
0: out of time. And, you know, I think um, this is making me think about our conversation with Dean because clearly we had the Avatar Legends playtest that came out this year. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's not a Wizards of the Coast product, but still, I think it's cool that we're having more things come into the light that maybe is to almost the same level that Dungeons & Dragons is that are these things that reward different ways of playing the game rather than constantly having to fight. Like, fighting is just the... The flavor. There's like a little flavor with fighting, but it's not the mm-hmm. whole thing. In the
1: Dragon Age RPG system, which, um, you know, is not my favorite, but I love the Dragon Age world and I love that lore, so it's sort of cool to do. They break it down and like there's three different kinds of encounters. And I think the DM's guide goes into this too. Like you either have like role playing, exploration, or combat. And they said in every um game should have a balance of the three, right? Yeah. And each one should have just as much opportunity to reward your players and, like, help them advance towards their goals. So even if it's, like, oh, you're just talking to the mayor, you know, like, there should still be opportunities for players to, like, really dig into that.
0: I agree. And, again, it's funny. It, it goes back to the conversation of, you know, as long as you make it more of a collaborative experience, you can make sure these things are reached to a level that everybody feels good about. It's, that's just all part of the game right there. I am so, like,
1: not confident in my DMing, which is hilarious because somehow I ended up being D M um yeah for the only like playtest material like the, the mini campaign that we're doing i was about
0: to say we have five more episodes We used to be i de- know <laughs> yeah.
1: um but like when i was preparing for like the first session i was like this is so hard because i have no idea what my players want you yeah. know like they had just rolled up their characters some of them were still trying to figure out who they were i literally just helped my wizard pick his spells last night Mm. And our third session is on Saturday. That's just the way it is sometimes. That's Um, how it is, yeah. But like, yeah, I had to, once I realized what my players cared about and how they wanted to engage with the world, everything became so much easier, you know? Because then I could start to like give them situations and environments that would play off of, you know, these are the things their character wants to do. These are the things their character is hesitant to do. So you
0: can sort of push and pull there. I might be becoming a DM, Josh. I don't know. Hey, you know, it's, it, the more you play, the more you become a DM, I also think, too. Because <laughs> you start seeing what your DMs are doing and you're like, oh, okay, I, I somewhat get that. And then when you mm-hmm. do it, you're like there.
1: Right. Or if you're, less, like, if you're opinionated enough that like, you know what you, what you like that your DMs do, you try and do it your way.
0: My DM style was based off of avoiding what I don't like in DMs I've had and doing what I enjoyed in DMs I had. Yeah, you would be surprised to know also that I gave them all items. They went
1: exploring a ruin and they were like, I want to look for treasure. And I was like, okay, sure. They all rolled well. So, like, I rolled on a treasure table. Yay. And I gave one of them a seventh level spell scroll and I okay. gave one of them a cursed dagger, you know? Seventh level? That's crazy. That's what I rolled on the table. That's I don't fucking know. nuts. I love that. Yeah.
0: So, awesome. that's not going to come back to bite me at all. It's gonna well, be fine. You never you never know what your players can do. They they can't that you you sometimes get a feel, but sometimes they can still surprise you. I still mm-hmm. get surprised. I literally
1: like I wanna get Womp. I'm a pro player DM probably. That so, like I like to put them in challenging situations, but I really want them to win. Yes. I wanna see them make creative choices and like best. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to try.
0: Yeah, there are certain DMs that are more focused on just trying to kill their players. But I think as long as you have the balance of making sure that they feel challenged, because mm-hmm. in the past, I definitely leaned too far into not challenge enough, because right. it's almost I like... I like to make them sweat. Because like, sometimes DMs forget you are also on their side as well, because technically definitely. you're the world, and the world's mm-hmm. not completely against the players. Like there's Right. The other thing is the world, once it's completely against the players... They might be dead, and then there's no more world. Like, the world revolves around the players, so you have to play to the players. Right, exactly. And I think sometimes people take the
1: advice, like, the DM, or, like, the world is true neutral, right? Like, it doesn't care about you, but it's not malicious against you. And sometimes I think some DMs can take that to be, like, the world is, like, maliciously indifferent to you. Like, the fact that it doesn't care about you actually, like, makes it want to seek your destruction. You know, if you think about, like, real life, like, sometimes, like, luck is on your side, and sometimes it's not, and those moments are pretty, you know, they tend to balance out.
0: And I gotta say, Aaron, we're talking players, players, players here, so I think we gotta talk about some of the great stuff that have been happening in these books for the players. For the players, for the people! For the people, and we are talking about for the adventuring people everywhere, and I think we could kind of smash all this together, because it was in The Wild by the Witchlight, uh, Fizban's Dragon Treasury, and in uh, the Ravenloft book, is the idea of these new races that have been coming out, but the ability scores are free and flexible, which I think you've been saying it for a long time, even before Tasha really was a thing, and Tasha's last year, so we can't talk about not We can't talk about, can't the talk about it. The of year of Tasha.
1: Tasha is officially over.
0: Go back to the beginning of our podcast if you want. We talked about Tasha there. <laughs> so much. But it's just great that like the new norm for D and D now is just creating races and there's no ability score tied to them. You just get to do whatever. One of my players is a a wood elf wizard and he took the outlander
1: background. He is like the most interesting character, and he put his ability score improvements into um intelligence and wisdom. So he could be a dope ass wizard. Um Yeah. I was listening to as one is want to do, um, the Adventuring Academy from uh role like What's it called? From Dimension 20 with Brennan Lee Mulligan. It's their, It's his podcast. And also it's on YouTube. And he was talking about how sometimes when you make character creation choices or RP choices that seem to go against optimization, quote unquote, sure you might not be optimizing for combat or for damage or whatever for like the most efficient character type of a specific role. But you are optimizing for fun. My player who's playing the Wood Elf Wizard with the Outlander background who rolled a sick athletics check to help build a wall this last session is having so much fun getting to do all of those little things way more than if he had just played like a pure wimpy wizard, you know?
0: Yeah. And honestly, usually when you hear wood elf, it doesn't make sense to do wizard because you're Mm -hmm. dumping your wisdom stat, you get a buff in and your dexterity doesn't really affect. It's like, no, they got to be a a ranger or Mm -hmm. some kind of rogue or a monk. Yeah. And it's, like, so limiting, and with the new book, like, say, for example, The Dragonborn, you don't have to think strength-based classes anymore. Mm-hmm. Now Definitely. you can do whatever you want, and, like, that makes sense, and it's funny you brought up the optimizing thing, because I actually went back to revising that bard subclass I have, and I was realizing as I was going through it, I'm like, you know what, I don't need to worry about... These abilities being like crazy combat abilities, they just need to be abilities that are worth a player having for the fun element of it. Right,
1: exactly. Abilities that your player will use first exactly. and foremost.
0: Yes, it's like the Draconic Sorcerer can fly at fourteenth level, right? We talk that like the Draconic Sorcerer is not great. It's no. really when, <laughs> especially
1: if... compared to like later sorcerer
0: subclasses. <laughs> yes, they get so much better, but like still, if somebody wants that flavor go for it now there's of course other ways to get wings earlier but that doesn't matter if that's like Definitely. the way that you want to have fun with the game like that's when you for think you. about it too um
1: the storm sorcerer flies at 18th level um yeah. and every youtube video and reddit post that i read about playing a storm sorcerer because i like to look for inspiration basically says you should play a different class yes um and i just like i disagree they're like their abilities like aren't very useful they have such a limited spell list, blah, blah. But like it is, I'm having a lot of fun. I use my sorcerer abilities all the time. Like yeah. I think they're all super cool. And I love the flavor of it. And I love the character I've made. I do, however, wish that my DM would let me use the Unearthed Arcana expanded spell list, but that's oh. like a different, <laughs> that's a different thing. It's fine.
0: You know, and all that I can say then in that case is that the thing I'm thankful for is that D D is opening up. D&D to being more than just combat focus because, say for example, I played a Conjuration Wizard for a long time, and I've always prayed that it wasn't combat situations because mm-hmm. the class is kind of usually thrown under the rug because it's like, oh, there's no combat buff to the Conjuration Wizard. It's very right. utility effects. Like There's no optimization by picking that subclass. Which I think is so cool, though. I I love utility so much more because you're only in
1: combat, maybe, if you're a combat-heavy campaign, like, half the time, you know? So in the other half, you want to have things that you're able to do.
0: And you know what that does to a player? Like, it makes me, as a character, like, fear combat, so I always want to avoid it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's just such, like, a cool little fire to light underneath somebody where it's like, I'm just a... I'm an old wizard who just makes things out of nothing. Okay. I'm not here to here to kill people or anything. Right, like, I'm not let's here to, to avoid like, be a this. Vigilante. Yeah, so that's what I like about um the new uh, honestly the new wave of uh, races and also they're honestly some of the best races you can play. Like I think Gem Dragonborn is freaking nuts. I've already built two Gem Dragonborns, so yep, I'm in love. I'm in love is what I'm trying. to I'm in to love. Say. It's great. I haven't taken too
1: much of a look at it, but they're really cool. I love that we're getting more and more access to different damage types early on. Like all the Gem Dragonborns, you get like Psychic Damage and Radiant Damage and Necrotic. You get like all these different, you know, things that we usually didn't have access to.
0: Totally. And the biggest new one that doesn't really exist is Resistance to Force Damage. Mm -hmm. That's not a thing. You know what I mean? Like that's so crazy that that is now like, whoa, what are you talking about? I thought my yeah. Eldritch Blast always works.
1: <laughs> All right, you.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, if I could just say, because I'm like a huge nerd for dragons, because the game is called Dungeons & Dragons, I think they're the best.
1: Absolutely. We come here for the dragons. I think
0: they're like the coolest creature to have as villains and fights. And like, mm-hmm. just because the world is created around the concept of dungeoneering and the dragons within the realm. Like, and I don't know. The that's such a big thing. Come on.
1: Also, dragons are some of the most, like, they're the longest living creatures you know Yeah So like when you as often I'm realizing that my campaigns like to deal with history a lot and like very old ancient knowledge like uh-huh. knowledge that maybe only dragons would know cuz
0: they've they're the only ones that've been around that long it's really cool then to make sure you have the creatures that exist mm-hmm. that allow you to do these things, then, right? Because then, like I don't know, you have to go to arch druids all the time or something, like right? Like, that. like and they're just humanity, like hippies basically. hippies in the woods, you know? Yeah. Yo, man, did you hear about the Great War of 1576? Yeah. Sorry, man, I don't really remember that much. Freaking nuts, bro. You know? <laughs> and I think, like, for, like, honestly, the dragon list in all reality has kind of been limited for a while because it was oh, the for same, sure. like, You've only ancient ever had white your, dragon. Yeah, your metallic and your copper, or
1: your metallic and your chromatic. Right. In varying ages.
0: Yeah. But now, like, there's so many more dragons and like serpents and wormlings Mm -hmm. and all of these things that they added. So just as like a, a lover of the dragon creatures and a young dragon turtle, even. So now I can uh, put my ooh. players up against dragon turtles earlier than I was.
1: Yes, good. Now the joke about us finding a dragon turtle isn't a joke.
0: Because we just find the young dragon turtle, you know, right? Spry, spry, young, living, living on water. I won't want to
1: kill the, the, the dragon turtle. I'm gonna want to domesticate it. Pirate Lord Ariadne rides a dragon
0: turtle. We'll see what happens. We're gonna have to. What's we're gonna have to go to the pre- We're gonna have to go to the presses with that one. Just see what That's happens. That's fair. <laughs> Sound off in the comments if you think I should get to ride a dragon turtle. All right, great. We're gonna start the poll. Now. (laughs) Good. Um, And also, I guess, like, you know, we're talking about the dragon. So we do have to address the one thing that hasn't come up yet. And we'll probably talk a little bit about it in December, if not January. But there's Mm -hmm. one more D&D book that is coming out that we haven't talked about, which is the Strixhaven book this year. The
1: Curriculum of Chaos.
0: So I really enjoy that, I don't know, we did uh, one shot in it, and when we were talking about it in Magic the Gathering, we were like, this is such a cool world. We always wanted this. I'm happy that D&D jumped right on it mm-hmm. and was like, okay, then this has to be a book within the world. Right,
1: give the people what they want.
0: Because I don't know how else to say it, right? I think Magic the Gathering does a great job at building the lore they should be cross things. You know, I think it is important that the people that love Magic the Gathering can play within the worlds and the people that love Dungeons & Dragons now get to see their favorite creatures in the cards they sling spe- spells about. It's all it's all lore, right? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: the lore of Magic the Gathering world is so cool and it makes such an interesting backdrop um, for a Dungeons & Dragons game. They really go like hand in hand. I mean, but naturally we would think that. We are, in fact, the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast. We made this podcast for this purpose.
0: Exactly. We are we are the ones that love to combine the two mediums together to create mm-hmm. adventures or whatever it may be. Or whenever we're in person, and maybe we just play with the new uh, when they come out next year, Boulders Gate: Forgotten Realms Commander deck uh, precons, oh, yeah. which will be It'll really be very cool. cool. Yeah, which I, I love. Yeah, those those are going to be so freaking cool. Ellie and I were uh, gushing over them on the podcast.
1: I was thinking about this. Also, because um, we were having a, a little conversation after one of our regular, regularly scheduled games. And, and Rachel brought up that um, we were talking about Ravnica and how we love all those characters. and It's like such a fun role playing experience. She mentioned that it's um, one of the things that makes it so helpful is that the lore of Ravnica is so rich. And especially like I was thinking about it and it's like because all of the guilds sort of like you make a character and you either like are a part of this system that's so well fleshed out. Or you're not, and that really says something about you too, right? Yes. And then each guild, you already show up into the world with like, here's how my comrades might feel, right? This is sort of like the core values of my organization. Like Z just says in episode three, right? Like to the Azorius, um, the law is a bludgeon in their hand.
0: Hmm. Which you know, I take
1: personal offense to. Of course,
0: you know, you have to play through the characters you want to play, right? You live through their lives. Um, yeah, I think, exactly. How, like, I, I think, like, Sword Coast tried to do it. And people who like Sword Coast, the book, let me know if I'm wrong about this and you actually do. Like, they tried to do, like, the backgrounds being very organizational and trying to give you, like, a home with it. But... Mm-hmm the color system of having 10 guilds based on the combinations of the colors is so rich. And I feel that's that's why Ravnica is one of the most beloved sets in Magic. I think I'm right when I say that. It's like... It's so easy to jump in and be like, this is my guild. This is the group I'm with. And I think D&D struggles with backgrounds. I think I've said this on an earlier podcast where it's (laughs) like. Boy, do they. Yeah, You like drop the background, right? You were a soldier and maybe (laughs) you're in the army still, but that's not something that's ingrained. Right. At some point, you stop being your background and you become an adventurer. Yes. And like even if you drop your guild at some point and you want to like change guilds or whatever, you have such a strong thing you're starting with. It doesn't matter if you're the Rakdos member who thinks Rakdos can be like a little lighter and maybe you change into Gruel, or if you're just like a very hard law and order Azorius cleric and that's how you live your entire life. We're not trying to call out the Azorius. I just we already opened the door, so we're just gonna keep doing it. But like there it's just such a rich world.
1: Yeah, and I was thinking the same thing about Strixhaven. You know, you have these five distinct schools that have another that have a similar sort of lore to them. You know, there's a vibe in each school that people can really latch on to. And even within each school, there's two very different like sub genres, you know, like, like Fenley, even though Fenley is a witherbloom little dude, he's very clearly into the green man side as opposed to the black man. You know he cares much more about the life than the than the using of
0: life. And it's funny you bring this up because on the podcast with Elliot, um, since Elliot makes magic cards, he did one nope. where it was a Rakdos card within Strixhaven. Oh, cool! But the whole concept was it's a student that doesn't have their place in the system, oh, and they're like, right. "Screw that! I don't want to be part of any of it." So it's a very right. Ractos mentality. But like, oh, I okay, love. Cool. I love the, I don't know, the way they build the world like that, I enjoy. And even with things like Time, I love how you have the blue-black zombie group. And then you have the angels who are white-black. Like, I think it's just such a rich world and they don't even have to do much because the colors give them so much stuff. Yeah, the
1: colors really speak for you, which is I think is neat. It's an interesting storytelling mechanic. I mean, like. Since we started the podcast, I had been going off being like, let me talk about the color wheel. That's my favorite thing about that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just so powerful when it's used in the way that we hope it is, right? Because we're the Dungeons & Gathers podcast that we said, is transferring mm-hmm. that mentality over into D&D. I think the color wheel yeah. works better as an alignment chart than D&D, you know? Than the alignment chart. The alignment yeah. chart sort of sucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll get you more throughout the uh, the podcast, don't you worry, Alignment Chart, we're taking you down.
1: Yeah, you're going down, man.
0: Even though it feels that we already did kind of do that, so I don't oh, know if it's sure. good to kick yeah. a dead horse Yeah, <laughs> I know, yeah, unless you're like, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of cards in Innistrad about bringing back creatures, so, you know, maybe you can. There's oh. actually, there's one card in the new Innistrad, sorry, we'll get to have Innistrad another time, of course, but um, uh-huh. there's there's literally one card where it's one side is a farmer grieving over his dead horse. And then the other side is him riding this like ghostly horse. Oh, that's awesome. or something like that. So yeah. Very cool. So maybe, uh, the alignment chart will rise like a ghastly horse and come to <laughs> trample us. And hopefully it it's a little better in undeath than it was in life. That's all we could hope for, right? That's, that's what we want here at the Dungeons and Gatherers yeah. podcast.
1: <laughs> Word. So, um, any last, Bits you're thankful for before we dig into these turkey legs?
0: Yeah, because I really, I really want to. Now that I'm thinking about food, I better cook myself something, right? Yeah, um, I got soup on right now. I know there was a couple of magic sets we didn't get to talk about, so all that I just want to do is throw out a quick thing. Um, out of all the magic sets that came out, we talked about Strix and We love the lore of it. Um, D and D is now in Magic the Gathering, of course. Um, Innistrad. I think the biggest thing is for me the b- best two sets of this year has been the Innistrad double and the um Call Time because I think. People love vampires, and we talked about this in D and D, right? Like people mm-hmm. wanted to play as vampires, people wanted to play as werewolves, and that was something that was like so limiting. Like they wouldn't let you, and especially in the magic world, you know, werewolves have gone out of style for a very long time now. We haven't seen right? it's werewolves good to in see forever, them back. and so strong too, and powerful. So, honestly, what I'm thankful for is bringing back. The Double Face and Zendikar, and I know Zendikar's last year, so we can't freaking say it, yeah. but bringing back Double Face and Zendikar to lead up to werewolf cards. And also, I mean, there's a lot of cool flip face vampires too. So that's what I love. Innistrad is just perfect. I love the style, everything. So just give me more vampires. That's what we talked about in a very early podcast. So I'm going to say it again. Just give We're me bringing more it vampires.
1: Back. Yeah. I'm so thankful to get to do this with with y'all. I am so happy that we are... But like the Ravnica stuff started as a one shot that I was just like, hey, can I DM a one shot and like, we'll give Josh a break on our main campaign. And Rachel was like, I've been messing around with doing some audio editing. Can I just like for fun, uh, like edit it into like an episode? And then we had no concept of making it into something that we put on here, right? It no, was always we just definitely just personal didn't. enjoyment. And then we loved it so much. And it sounded so cool and it was did. so
0: fun that we just wanted to keep going. And I think that that's awesome. I'm happy we did because I don't know why we recorded it and didn't think that was a possibility from the get-go. We're silly. But I think, like, in all of our minds, we're like, this is really good. It's – we need to record this. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? We already had that thought to it. Right. So – because, again, yeah, rich world, and that's what's awesome about us. We want to take the Magic the Gathering beauty, put it in d d So I'm, I'm thankful that we get to do that too, especially with now branching into Strixhaven a little bit because, you know, that yes. that was fun for me. Definitely. I'm loving all the crossover. Yeah. We then that Hey, that's what we do. That's our thing. That, Welcome, that's what we up do. To our that's thing. the yeah. brand. Trademark it. Perfect. Done. Yeah. Sell it to the presses. We freaking did it. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, well, thank you all for tuning in to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast today. And what I want to say is that I know that it's really hard to find a gem-encrusted bowl. But something a little easier than doing that, and you probably don't have a thousand gold pieces lying around, it is absolutely free to like and subscribe to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast. So take that spellbook and click that like button.